session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulaku, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number called in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and my podcast on Spotify <clears throat> and Apple Podcasts. Again, our studio number 3104410555. All right, today I wanted to start off talking about um well, ourselves in a way, but different aspects of ourselves, but looking at personality and how any given trait, sometimes we think, well, what's what makes you a good person or what makes for a good life? And what we tend to find and what I think is very true is that there's no trait that is all good and especially not all good all the time and not all good in whatever extremes that there is. There's almost always going to be uh, a sense of trying to find a balance between what characteristics we have. However, we tend to fall into some ways of being, we call them personality, and sometimes we'll talk about his personality a genetic or how much of it is is what we learn or what we experience the whole nature nurture debate which always we know it's not either or it's always going to be a blend and a dynamic process at that but what i think is also important to look at is not just the personality we're expressing and how that reflects who we are but what makes us reflect the personalities that we do or take on the characteristics that we do and i'll i'll explain that more i can understand it sounds abstract at this time so going to the first theme of the extremes of different qualities. So sometimes people think, well, it's so good to be, let's say, very on time. That's actually something I tend to be in my life. I like to be on time, not be late for things. And I think overall it's good. But if we look at that characteristic that usually makes someone on time, maybe we'll call it conscientiousness, but let's even focus specifically on something like timely, uh, you know, being punctual. Uh, it's a good thing, but also it could be too extreme. And if we look at the other side of it, it's someone who might be more flexible and might be late at times or might not be on time for something. So it could be good to be punctual. It's good to be on time. However, it can also lead to or be part of an inflexibility when it's too extreme. And that's actually something I've noticed in myself that at times I will put being on time above other things and maybe it would make sense to sacrifice it or to actually... It's okay to be a few minutes later to move something around. I try to, at times I can see myself being too rigid. So there's a consistency, which it can be good, but in its extreme and in certain circumstances, it could be rigidity. And on the other side, the flexibility can be good in contrast to what I was sharing of if you can be too extreme. So it could be good to be flexible, but then you can also be too flexible or you can be too lenient where you might actually make certain accommodations or do things and maybe it's better not to you'll miss out on something or the other person will be upset that you're late and you could have been there on time so we can see that most characteristics are going to have this type of a duality or really we can talk about a balance is what we're looking for and so when we're trying to understand ourselves 
we want to be aware of this because we tend to go to these black and white type of arguments. Well, you know, I'm very this way and that's good. And it probably is, but you want to look at what is the extreme of what I'm doing and do I go towards that, whatever that characteristic is, and how can I find more balance for myself? How can I become more balanced? Because usually what is going to be optimal is a sense of balance and most importantly, a sense of flexibility. Because it's not that life is a one-size-fits-all or one characteristic fits all situations, interactions, times of our lives. It's almost always going to be that we need to be flexible to the moment. What does it require right now? It could be good to be very, let's say, tough in some ways in certain circumstances, but then you're going to be playing with a baby and you might be able to, uh, you need to be able to tap into something softer to be able to play with the young child, to be playful, to be tender, to be caring. But if you're that way in a situation that might require you to be tougher for yourself, to stand up for yourself for a certain situation, then it can harm you if you're only staying in that type of a mindset or that type of a way of being. And so for me, this is something when we talk about gender roles and even gender identity, one of the things that I think gets lost for me is sometimes we talk about, well, what does it mean the identity or who you are, how you reflect yourself, which can have a lot of value because of how people are treated for different things. But what I think also we forget is that when we make things too rigid, that if you're a man, you have to be this way and a woman this way, or this is masculine, this is feminine in a certain extreme way, then we don't give everyone the flexibility to just be, which means to express the whole range of human types of experiences and characteristics, that it, it shouldn't be just a man does this or a woman does this. And when you say that, some people think, oh, you're saying you want men to be women and women to be men. No, that's not my argument at all. I'm saying we should allow everyone to be what they want to be, who they want to be, and shouldn't have these restrictions that, for example, men don't cry or women do this, or a man should do this, or in a heterosexual relationship, it has to be this way. It doesn't mean there could be certain dynamics you like. You might even prefer a very traditional type of relationship. You could want that. It's that we're allowing the flexibility for people to want to express to experience what they want to experience. Now, why might we ourselves not express different parts of ourselves? And by that, I mean I think we have tendencies, so I'm not saying everyone is exactly the same. I don't think that's true. But I do think that everyone has the capacity to express the range of human experiences and emotions. But we tend not to because we create these personalities. And that's what I mean that to me, it's not just this, oh, you have a personality and that's you. We often fall into a personality which can be looked at as a different type of a comfort zone. So. We'll talk about comfort zones and the actions we take, the behaviors we take, the things that we do. But there's also a comfort zone of who am I? And what I think is interesting is we can make a parallel to romantic relationships. So in romantic relationships, I really like the account of Stephen Mitchell in his book, Can Love Last, which others have talked about as well. When we're trying to understand, well, why does passion go away? Why do we lose that? And why do people think inevitably people will fall out of love, or at least the love will diminish. But one of the things he points out in that book is there's this balance or this process when we're getting to know someone. Some of what creates the passion is the unknown. 
you're attracted to them, you're intrigued by them, there's something exciting about this connection, and there's so much you don't know, and that also makes it exciting as things unfold. But once you get to know them, of course, some of that unknown becomes known, but what Stephen Mitchell argues is that what we do is we trade that passion for stability. So because it can feel so uncertain or feels anxiety-provoking to not know, for example, the person we're with and think we know them completely so that we can predict them and that we know what they're going to do, and especially they won't hurt us or leave us, we give away the real truth, which is that whoever you get to know still is unknown to you in the sense that there's a lot more for you to know, a lot more for you to know in the present, also about their past, but even in the present and who they are now. And of course, as they continue to change and evolve through their life. So it's not that you can fully know them, but we'd like to tell ourselves, oh, he, you know, look how boring he is. He does this and that. I know exactly what they're, he's going to do. And we say that because it feels safer. And so in a way, couples do that together. They trade the passion for some stability. And here again, it's a balancing act. It's not all or nothing, of course. Uh, it's not even healthy and you can't pretend like you don't know your partner at all and you also don't want to go uh, to the extreme and say I know them completely but it's finding that balance of recognizing that this person is still someone for me to know so the parallel to our own personalities our own lives is what I see is that we do this with ourselves we say that oh I'm not that kind of a person or I do this or I never do that or I'm not a you know, a silly person, or I'm not a angry person. And really what we're saying is that these are parts of myself that I don't want to express, or that there are other parts of me or ways of being that are my comfort zone, how I'm comfortable, and so I'd rather be that way. So in a strange way, it's almost like we take away the romance with ourselves and pretending like we know ourselves fully when we really don't because we are still understanding ourselves and we have to see how we're going to be in different situations, different scenarios. So we trade that passion for stability within ourselves as well. And so again, it's a balance. You're not going to be completely new every day. That wouldn't even make sense. But leaving that flexibility and that freedom to express and experience different things. And so in a, from a Jungian perspective, we might say, for example, you're, you have some things in your shadow. And so we could try to understand why they were in your shadow. If you were told it was so, uh, you know, stupid to be silly or you're going to be, no one's going to respect you if you make too many jokes, you might have put that playful side of you away. And so now you're no longer going to be playful or, or be able to express that side of you because you think that's just not me. But it's not that you don't have that within you. You do have that side. So you might see someone so rigid in how they present and always professional and they always have to present themselves in a certain way and they will make it seem like they don't even have that and they might even actually ridicule someone who is being silly because that's part of themselves that they've disowned they don't want to be in touch with sometimes we ridicule people who express what we wish we were expressing that happens we find fault in it other times we actually try to get close to it we might even be in a romantic relationship with someone who expresses that unexpressed part of ourselves or we might you know, let's say watch movies or TV shows or music or whatever it might be that is expressing it. So it's kind of like we're connecting with it, but at a safe enough distance. So I'm experiencing it to a level, but not fully expressing it. 
where it's not me, I'm just listening to someone talk about that or I'm being with someone who's that way. So we might find our ways of, of dealing with it as such. But what I think is important for us to give ourselves the space to do is to actually recognize that, yes, I have certain tendencies or I've experienced certain things, but I am still much more to learn or I have much more to learn even about myself. That as I go through life, I will actually find that I, if I give myself the space to express who I am in that moment, it will be different. And speaking of expressing who we are, I, I use phrases like your authentic self or your true self. And even that to me is not a fixed thing. Sometimes that's how it can come across. And even I think I can express in, in that way. There is this authentic you that you have to express. I think there are some gifts and abilities that we have, but even those we have to develop. So that is a dynamic process as well. But what I think more of an authentic self is more of a self that's being authentic in each moment. Not that it's just a you that's, let's say, a statue on display that we can look at, but actually, no, you're more of a living statue or you're a living type of a monument to yourself that will express different things at different times. And so your true self isn't something that you can even predict. You can't say, tomorrow my true self will be to do this when I talk to this person. Especially in those kinds of interactions, you have to see how you feel and are in that interaction and then express what's genuinely coming up and coming out for you, not just tell yourself what you're going to be. But in a lot of our lives, that's what we do. We think we already know exactly what we're going to feel and exactly what we will do because we want to do a particular thing. So this is something that we can all reflect on. Where are the areas of my life where I've closed parts of myself off? Or what are aspects of myself that I've closed off? Do I allow myself to feel anything, to feel angry, to feel sad, to feel jealous, to feel excited, to feel playful and silly? Do I allow myself to express different types of behaviors and things with other people to take different roles in different relationships? Am I always the one who tries to have the upper hand? Do I always try to defer and be passive and let other people take the lead or make sure they're okay? What are the patterns that I've created for myself? Also, of course, we can try to understand where those are coming from. Likely, we didn't just create them out of nowhere. They were working in some kind of way, in some kind of environment. But recognize that it's not that that's just who I am. It's usually because you've chosen that way because it's more comfortable and it made sense for you at some point. And it's anxiety-provoking to try something else or to let yourself express something different. But this is where actually we can... When we're talking about a relationship, we lose the passion or we get bored of our partner or the relationship, but we can get bored of ourselves in our own lives because we don't allow ourselves to express and experience different things. We stay stagnated in a certain space that feels safe, but we don't actually allow ourselves to fully live and be alive and express that authentic self moment to moment and minute to minute, day by day to see what life can actually feel like when we try different things, allow ourselves to be different things. So I think it's a funny way to think of it of being romantic with yourself, but it's the same principle. Do I allow myself to surprise myself? Do I allow myself to express whatever it is I might experience or what I'm going through? Do I give myself that flexibility to be whoever I am in that moment, to be myself in that moment? Or do I feel like I have to stay in this rigid space that feels comfortable for me. And at the end, we find some kind of balance because again, it's not that it's going to be different every moment. 
you do have some kind of an identity, a sense of yourself, but it's going to be much more flexible than what we mo most of us tend to create and to think that this is me, this rigid thing that I have is me. No, there's some core that might be there, but there's a lot more flexibility that we have to allow the space for us to experience and then express. All right, let's go to a commercial break. Studio number 310441555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So in the previous segment, I was talking about how we can be aware of the ways that we tend to be or think we see ourselves in a certain way that's restricted to, to certain ways of being that this is me and I'm this is me and I'm not this or I don't act in this way or I don't even experience certain uh, feelings or emotions. And that's what I wanted to talk about now, because what we often will see is people will disown us in a way focusing on characteristics of our personalities, but even types of emotions, because we've learned that they are not good to, to feel or doesn't feel good to us or they don't get responded to well, especially. And we put them away. And it could be really amazing how disconnected we can be from certain emotions to the point that we don't think we have it at all. When you ask someone who has put some feeling away, they will tell you, no, I don't feel that way at all. And this comes up in therapy. Even sometimes you might pick up on something. Of course, as a therapist, I, I'm wrong all the time. But at times I feel that there's something there and you point to it and the person doesn't see it. And sometimes a, lot, a long time later in therapy in their own lives, they find out, oh, you know, there was some feeling there. I was just so disconnected from it. And the reason why this can make sense is if we learn to hide a certain feeling, the best way to hide a feeling from you is if I don't even feel it myself. I don't even know there's something to hide. That's actually the best way uh, to hide something. And there's some, um, you know, uh, theories or ideas in evolutionary psychology and try to understand when we're trying to trick one another, so try to hide something. So, of course, there is ways that we want to, for example, present ourselves in a certain way, but might want to do something differently. And so there's almost like an arms race that I want to show you something, but I'm hiding something. And then you have to try to detect that I'm hiding. So then we kind of try to figure out how do we go one step further. But when we're talking about a, a feeling in this way. If I don't want you to even know that I'm angry, if I'm so disconnected that I don't feel the anger myself, well, then we kind of have a lot easier of a job going forward. I don't even know I'm angry to know that I'm hiding it for you, from you. And so uh, that's actually interesting. It's for you too, probably. The person thinks they're hiding it for that individual. But so anger can be a good one to look at because that's often one that people put away because I think we tend to think of anger as a bad feeling. So anger can be considered a negative emotion in the sense that negative meaning it doesn't feel good when you're experiencing it. So sadness would also be one of those. When you're feeling sad, it doesn't feel good. It makes you want to go away from that feeling as opposed to something like happiness or feeling joyful. When we have those feelings, we feel good and we want to go towards them. And something I've been speaking on recently is this positivity bias that we have. That's an understandable bias that, of course, we're going to have this tendency to want to go towards things that feel good. We do that in all ways, whether it's a feeling or whether it's some kind of a behavior or something that feels good to us. But we also know that living a good life means that we can't just go towards what feels good in the moment. We can't just 
make ourselves feel good or go towards the action that feels better every time. It's another one of those balances that we have to find that, of course, we get drawn towards things that feel good. We want to feel good about certain things, but at the same time, we have to make sure that we do things that are good for us in the long term. So we can have a tendency to go away from those quote-unquote negative feelings, but to an extreme extent. And if you look at most pop psychology or a lot of things that are posted online about psychology, there are these tendencies towards that of how can you feel good all the time, or if something is making you upset, you don't need to be upset, you don't need to be sad about it or mad about it, you can just feel good. And so you maybe have heard the phrase toxic positivity, but that's part of this type of thinking that you can always feel good. You should always feel good. We should only share that we're feeling good with one another. No one wants to be around someone who's not feeling good or feeling happy. Um, Something like hashtag no bad days, that you're always having a good day, that all days are good. These are really harmful because they are not realistic and they are not the genuine experiences that we're going to have. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have bad feelings come up, and that's okay. And you shouldn't be around people that only feel good all the time, and you shouldn't feel like you can't feel bad and be around people. A true friend wants to be there with you through your life experience, not just when it's pleasant or feels really, really good. That's not what life and friendship should be about. The experience of life is going to be about experiencing the full range of emotions. And when we look at emotions on a basic level, they're essentially information. They're telling us something. They're giving us a feedback about our bodies, our emotions, our experience. So we want to actually be open to that rather than just try to get rid of it. In an extreme, we would just want to take, let's say, some kind of drug or substance all the time or numb ourselves in some ways. And we see that people do that. They numb themselves in a variety of ways, more basic ways, like even distracting ourselves through our phones and other things, but of course, taking drugs to do that as well. We do try to numb ourselves because we are trying to get away from those feelings. And one of our biggest markers of emotional health and overall well-being, which might sound paradoxical to people, but it's our ability to tolerate bad feelings. It's our frustration tolerance or our distress tolerance. How okay am I with not feeling okay? So people think that mental health means feeling good all the time and feeling happy all the time, and that's not the case. Yes, if you are in a mentally better state, you'll likely feel better than you'll feel worse, or you won't be severely depressed for a long period of time. That would not be a sign of mental health to be severely depressed. But if you think you never feel bad because you're such a mentally healthy person, it almost definitely is going to mean you are disconnected from some part of your emotional experience. So we we don't want to go away from those feelings because they're informing us. You have an interaction with someone, if it makes you feel sad, you want to be aware of that because that's telling you something. I don't feel good about something in this interaction. Was it something my friend said? Was it something I did? Is it the ways we interact? Is there some unresolved things between me and this person that makes me still get sad when I see them? There can be all sorts of things, but that is information that we are getting. And often people, you know, we talk about intuition. There's something um, very powerful there. 
it doesn't have to be considered mystical or magical at all. I think it's very much coming from us, but we will feel something is not right about a situation, even though we can't think about what that is, or we might not be conscious of what is making us um, feel a certain way, but we can feel something is not quite right. And so we can then be aware that something is feeling off about that. And we can take that as information. And now this is the other part when we talk about extremes. It doesn't mean we take it as our dictator. So if you have a feeling, you have to act on it and act only on that. No, it's information, one of the sources. You can then think about what the feeling is and then try to understand it better Then also think about what you want to do, going back to the tendency of not just trying to get rid of the bad feelings you might notice that, okay, this makes me feel bad, but I think it's actually good for me to tolerate it. Or I'm angry with this person, but this is not the right context to express it, or I'm never going to see that person again, so let me express it in some other way that feels better for me. So it's a source of information, not our dictator of what we're going to do. So we want to have this openness with our feelings, which means that we allow ourselves to express what's there. Uh, on Monday, I was talking about the Zen of Therapy by Mark Epstein, looking at um, some of the Buddhist principles of non-judgmental awareness when you're doing meditation or just experiencing life. So it's not that we're saying everything is equal, but when you're trying to pay attention to yourself, that you are in a non-judgmental awareness type of a state, that you're recognizing what's there. So unfortunately, what we tend to do is not do that. We have judgments on our feelings, and even stronger than that, can completely detach from our feelings or certain aspects of our feelings. And as I mentioned, anger can be one of these significant ones that we can detach from or disconnect from because it doesn't feel safe, it doesn't feel good, it doesn't feel like people are going to like us if we're going to get angry. Uh, to begin with, anger is usually modeled very poorly by our families and also by society when we look at what people tend to get exposed to. But in most families that you see, there isn't this healthy expression of, something makes you angry and you can express it in a way to whoever it was that upset you or hurt you, most people are holding it in or being explosive and it might even be the same person. So anger is either a thing you put away completely or it shows up in these really ugly ways that can be aggressive or even violent and hurtful to those people around you. And so we can learn that this is not something safe to feel. It's not good to feel. Or if we've seen it expressed in this negative, harmful way and it scared us, what you can internalize is this feeling that that's a really ugly thing. I never want to feel that way. Or if your mother was very angry and you saw it in these harsh ways, you can learn that I never want to be like her, so let me put my anger away completely. And so we disconnect from it. So it's not even that it's something you experience sometimes. You tell yourself, no, things don't make me angry. And so people might say, oh, you're, I'm easygoing. Things don't just seem to upset me. And yes, people can be uh, definitely different in how much things affect them. So I'm not saying all of that has to be fake or phony. But often what people will find is that they might think they're really easygoing. But a lot of what's happening is that they're not connected to the things that are bothering them about whatever is going on. And so it might not hit them till later on, till they're out of the interaction or till things accumulate. There's a, a buildup of resentment over time. Someone keeps upsetting you. You don't realize it until it gets too strong. It's kind of like your temperature. If you're really sensitive, you might realize your temperature has gone up one degree. But if you're not connected to how your temperature is and how you feel, 
it might have to wait till you are having a really high fever before you realize it. And so that's what a lot of people will do with their anger is they hold it and hold it in and then it explodes. But it wasn't that they're just exploding now, it's that they were disconnected from what they were feeling. So you can do kind of like a feelings audit for yourself, going through different feelings and saying, how do I, it might sound strange, but how do I feel about that feeling? What are my judgments about that feeling? And you'll likely find that there are a lot of feelings you have about the different feelings. What does it mean to feel sad? For some people, it can feel okay. For some people, it's this incredibly painful thing or a crisis type of a feeling because possibly, let's say, their parents responded extremely uh, harshly or ex with extre extreme reactions when they got sad. Oh my God, you're sad. This is a, no, no, stop crying. We have to get you to stop crying because they weren't comfortable with their own sadness. So now crying or being sad is not just this thing you experience. It's this terrifying, horrible thing that must be avoided at all costs. And some people go through their life that way. How do you even feel about happiness? It might feel like this is how you should always feel. Or it could even be you, you should possibly feel it, but don't show it because people might get envious or might get jealous or might hurt you if you're too happy based on whatever you experience in your family. What does it mean to be jealous? What does it mean to be envious? So you can go through the whole list of different main emotions and you'll recognize that you have different feelings about those feelings. And so often in therapy, we are unpacking this because someone might say something like, oh, you know, I was really sad yesterday and I cried a lot. I'm so weak. What's wrong with me? And so the feeling of being sad can be difficult itself. But what can be even harder is this judgment about the feeling that actually gets in the way of even dealing with the actual emotional experience that was happening there. Now it becomes about the judgment and the punishment and the person doesn't connect to whatever that sadness was. Or, oh, I was angry, you know, I got angry, but no, I shouldn't be angry at this person because they've done good things for me. We don't get angry at people that have only hurt us. We get angry in any of our relationships when we feel like the person has harmed us in some way or has crossed some boundary or done something that feels intrusive or hurtful to us. Anger isn't a pure emotion of the whole relationship. It's just about an interaction or a moment or an experience you're having. But if you tell yourself, no, I can't be angry at this person because they were nice to me some other time, now you're going to be disconnected from that, but it doesn't go away. It's going to still be in that relationship and get triggered by different things and eventually will come out. So we can be mindful of our emotions about emotions, our feelings about our feelings, to better understand what it is that we're experiencing, but also what is it that I don't allow myself to experience. Because if I don't allow myself to experience certain things and hide them from me, I won't be living my own life as fully, but I also won't be able to connect with someone else as fully either. So this is just something to consider when we're looking at our personalities. Yes, there's certain characteristics of how we act and interact at, with other people, but also there's certain feelings that we tend to either connect with or disconnect with that we judge in, for certain reasons in ourselves or in other people and allow ourselves and don't allow ourselves to experience and go through. All right, let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes, hi, doctor. Hi, thanks for calling. <laughs> uh, so 
I don't know how you're going to work out. Uh, you want to ask question I answer? <laughs> well, you can ask me what your question is. What 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 made you call in? Uh, well, I'm 70 years old. Uh, mm -hmm. with the, uh, lot of, um, I cannot walk very well. I'm limping and other problem I have. So they told me you have a depression. I don't know. I, I think I don't have a depression. But I just want to ask you because you are the professional. You tell me what's wrong with me. Well, I am I am professional, but also you're going to be the professional when it comes to your life and what you're feeling. So you can tell me what what's going on for you. And at the end of the day, if you're happy with your life, that's the most important thing. No one else can tell you your life should be different or needs to be different. So it, when you said the limp, they're they're saying the limp is leading to you being depressed, or they're saying you're depressed and that's why you're limping. About uh, 15 years ago, they diagnosed me with the neuropathy. Oh, mm -hmm. Neuropathy. Okay. And uh, it's getting worse, but they tested me 10 years ago, and they told me, the doctor told me with the test the nerve, my feet and hand, he said he's surprised how I'm walking, but I'm still walking. And about three hours a day, I walk and exercise in a gym and I have few property to manage and do the accounting, do everything, whatever. I'm cooking too. I'm working. Okay. I enjoy everything. I don't see nothing wrong with me. Okay. Now you said, uh, I think you said neuropathy. I think, I know there's different types like peripheral neurop neuropathy. Is, do you know which type of neuropathy they diagnosed you with? Because uh, uh, 25 years ago they diagnosed me type 2 uh, type 2 diabetes uh, diabetics uh -huh. and after that about 10-15 years I'm stopped limping and they test me and they, they said you have a neuropathy. I see yeah I mean there could be a, I think like a diet from diabetes like a diabetic neuropathy okay. Yes, but but my diabetic is always on a control. It's about the A1C6 or 612. But they says it's good. Uh, okay, that's good. Every time I go to the doctor with the test and everything says cholesterol good, this good, that good. Nothing wrong, you good, you good, you good. But uh, that uh, problem I have, neuropathy, but it's, it's still... Uh, uh, I don't know. Well, just people around me that said you have a depression, but I don't think so. Okay. It does seem like you're doing what you can for your health to take care of yourself, going to the doctors, but also walking and, and doing things to take care of yourself. That's good. But you're mentioning people saying you're depressed. So what are what do you think is making them say you're depressed? What are they pointing to or pointing out? Because they says you you more quiet, uh -huh. and I says I'm more uh, more uh, uh, what do you call it? I'm more uh, mature. They said no, you so quiet. Used to be you was so noisy and saying things that and whatever and she's but but I'm I'm I think yes, I'm a little bit uh, coming down from. Uh, uh, to be so happy, but I'm still happy. 
Okay. You know, there's a way that even I'm hearing you talk about how you're feeling like, um, like you're defending yourself. Like they're telling you you're depressed and you're like defending yourself. Now it could be that you're not. Um, but it's interesting. I was just talking about the ways that we might not want to feel certain things. So even when they tell you you're depressed, what does that feel like for you? It seems like it bothers you, but tell me what you're feeling when they tell you that they think you're depressed. When they told me depressed, and I answer you depressed, I'm not me. <laughs> well, that, that's what I mean by that's what I mean by being defensive. When when we're defensive, either we defend ourselves or we attack the other person. So you don't like that they're telling you that, which I can understand at some level. But I feel like you're really resisting what they're telling you. If you're saying a lot of people are telling you, they could all be wrong. But I'd want you to at least be open to looking at okay. Could it be possible? Is there something going on? So tell me, how do you feel on in your day-to-day life or about your life? Well, about a year ago, I went to the doctor and uh, psychologist, and I said, what do you think? He says, the person is uh, working. The person is walking. The person is uh, uh, exercise. Mm-hmm. All these things show me you, you're not... Uh, you don't have depression. Okay. That's a doctor said. But I want to know your opinion. Well, what do you think? Uh, mm-hmm. I do everything I can. But see, that's what I mean. Like even but the everybody, <laughs> everybody <laughs> admire me. Whatever I do, I say, "Oh no, I can't believe it! You do this, you do that." Mm-hmm. I do everything like a normal person. Well, I mean, even if but you're depressed, you, you can still be normal and be depressed in, in, in a way. It doesn't mean your life has to look so different. And I'm not saying I know you are depressed, but what I'm hearing from you is a strong resistance to even considering that you could be or to see that it's there. It's good that you're working, you're walking, all, all of those things. But it seems like the fact that you're calling me means there's something you're unsure about or either you want me to tell you something so you can tell these people or are you yourself unsure? Do you wonder, am I depressed? Yeah, you're doctor. You're so smart. You're so <laughs> smart. It is my mind. <laughs> well, tell me, what, mind. tell me what I read, because I'm not sure what I just read. Tell me what is it that I read no. on your mind. You says, you, says, uh, you might, you want word from you, I go tell them, hey, Dr. Rocco, <laughs> he says, I'm not Okay. Well, the, the, I have good news and bad news. Like the good news is I'm glad we're talking. The bad news is I probably won't tell you one way or the other for sure you're depressed because in a 15-minute phone call, it's probably not likely we can figure it out completely. But I'm trying to understand this resistance you're having back and forth with them that they're telling you you're depressed. Do you feel like you've changed over the last couple of years? Yes, I'm more quiet. Okay. But nothing else. Okay. I, I do whatever every man do. Believe me, I doctor. And everybody admire me. Oh no, I can't believe it. I don't like nobody help me when I fell down in the floor. I get up myself. I don't like people do things for me. I want to do it myself. Uh, I cook every morning for my wife. Uh, sometimes I make a food at home. And Cut the onions, do everything, whatever I can do. I'm a good cook too, doctor. Sure. I'm, I'm, uh, well, and that's what I mean. Like, you know, when you say no, you don't want anyone to help you, on one hand, that's good to have that independence and to want to take care of yourself. But I'm feeling this, which could be related to this feeling of not wanting to be, for someone to tell you you're depressed, that you don't want to need help or to ask for help. 
you want to make sure you're doing it all by yourself. Doctor, when I'm in, when I'm walking in the street, when my my chain fell down in the floor, I don't let nobody pick it up or give it to my hand. I'll do it myself. Even even the people doesn't know me. I don't like to help me out. Okay, what is I'm it? I'm not trying to hurt my family. I'm mm -hmm. not trying because you know. But I have two lawyers at home. I'm very uh, smart people. I don't think so. These kids, they can, they can say, "Oh, well, you this and that." What do you mean? Are, are your kids telling you that you're depressed? <laughs> not my wife saying you're depressed. Okay, <laughs> is she listening right now? Pardon me. Is your no, wife listening? No, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if she was listening or if she was with you. Yeah. Well, I think you're waiting to see what I say before you'll even tell her. If if I tell her you're not depressed, you're going to make sure she hears it. But um, if I don't, you might not be. Yeah. Okay. At, at, at night, I put it online and hear sure. you with my wife. <laughs> I can do that. Okay. Well, I hope that we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I'm coming back to this, you know, the way you're talking about getting help. I, I can understand wanting to be independent, but there's a way that you're saying it. There's a, a certain level of pride there that you, no one should ever need to help you or you should not need anyone's help. Do you let your wife help you? She likes to help me always, but I ask her not to help me out. Okay. But some things I can't do it, like my button, I can't do it, she do it for me, okay. or other things, but the things I can't do myself, I don't like nobody help me, okay. I do it myself. Do you, do, you like, do you like to help her? Oh yes, very much. Mm -hmm. uh, every time I make a breakfast, I make it for her too, and I make it cook, I cook for her too, but she, don't, she doesn't like I do things at the kitchen. Go out, I'll do it myself. <laughs> okay. But she's not to be independent too, but you know, we are forty-four years married. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's a long time. You've been through a lot together, yeah, I'm sure. And she was my first girlfriend too. That's yeah, that's r rare to see these days. That's beautiful, uh, and I'm sure you've helped each other a lot along the years. So I'm sure she's helped you in a lot of ways. Yes. If I need help, she do it. She do a lot of things for me. I'm no, no question about that. But the things is here. Uh, she like to say, "Go doctor, do this, do that." She always tell me what to do. But you know, he's a wife. What can I do? Well, I listen. Okay. So I mean, you know, as your partner, it's good. You know, I'm sure you can help each other, and you probably see each other better than even you see yourself at sometimes so it could be good to have that but now let's focus just on your wife and that she's telling you you're depressed other than you've been more quiet or you're more quiet than you used to be what else makes her say you're depressed well uh, I don't know she said you're not sharp enough like you used to be you're not uh, uh, but accounting I always remember all the accounting. She do the accounting, but I remember everything. Okay. I correct her in accounting. So you think I'm a depressed still? No, no, but see, even the way you just said that, there's a defensiveness in how you're saying it. You you can be amazing at accounting and be depressed, but it, so it doesn't tell me you're not depressed. But every time you find a moment, you want to prove that you're that you're not. 
So that's what I'm, I want you to recognize is an openness to hearing what she's saying to you. And the label to me is not so important. It can matter, but more about how are you feeling? You know, do you feel okay? Or let me ask you this. If you could change something or some things in your life, what would you change right now? Doctor, I cannot wait. I get up in the morning, make breakfast and eat it, then I go out. Okay. Believe me. That. Then after that, I'll go come back in afternoon at home, have a dinner and lunch together. I mm -hmm. eat two times a day. Okay. And I don't eat a lot. I eat less than before. But because I afraid, the, you know, my sugar goes so high. But I still manage on sugar. I am always manage it and I lost like uh, from 35 years ago I lost about uh, 65 pounds I was 255 now 180 that's great and it's 6 feet high yes yeah, yeah. and a lot of muscle I have 80 per 90% muscle 10% fat mm -hmm. but but yeah. I asked you but I asked you what would you want to be different in your life what would you like to? Wife. What would you want there to be different in your life? I want to get another wife, doctor. You want to get what one that doesn't tell you you're depressed? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. But she always say that. She always say that. I, I'll tell you what I'm getting from you is there's a a strong resistance to seeing what she's saying, which it doesn't mean necessarily the label is even right. But I'm hearing from you constantly pushing back on it in a very strong way, a defensiveness. That, And when you talk about getting help, that there's a sense that uh, I'm not the kind of person that gets depressed or depressed means you're weak or something like that. That's what I'm feeling from you. And it, you could possibly not be depressed. I don't know if you are, but I want you to recognize there's a way you're pushing back on it a lot. That I would hear her more, listen to what she's telling you. In what ways does she think you're depressed or are you feeling sad? And, and are you feeling more down? Um, because what I keep hearing from you is telling me how good you are and how great you're doing, which you probably are in a lot of ways, but I sense a, a resistance to hearing what she's saying she's worried about or concerned about. So I, I, I would talk to her. Does she say you're not as nice to her or kind to her? Has anything changed in your relationship with her? Well, no, you, you keep saying that. I mean, I know, but even that way, there's a way of you're talking down about her or about women. No, I'm not saying I, I am so happy I get married with her. Good. With, with the kid I have, the smart and good, and was very successful, good lawyers in the town. Mm -hmm. What I need in uh, my life. I'm okay. so happy with her. But She's so you, very smart. But let's go back to how she feels about how you're treating her, because I asked you if if she wants you to treat her better or something's going on there, and you said you know wives. So what is she saying about how you treat her? Well, I listen to her all the time, mm -hmm. and I say, whatever you say, I'll do it. But I try to make her happy. But so many things she cannot do, and sometimes she don't know I'm a handicap or whatever, or... You know, sometimes she thinks I'm a young man, like a girl, whatever. Well, I don't know exactly about her. Okay. Well, you but can. She's smart. 
I'm sure she is. You, but you can ask her. Other than doing things like physically, you know, you're talking about like she might not recognize. And it seems like sometimes you don't want to, you know, you, you try to be as independent as you can. So you don't want to um, limit yourself. So she might not recognize how limited you could be or things that might be harder for you. Is there anything else, let's say emotionally, that you think she wants from you or she shared with you that she would like to have in the relationship? Well, she always worry about me. Mm-hmm. She always say, I think you're going to fail down and you die, and I, I think you this and that. And I said, hey, listen, I never die. But, I'm here for always. Well, I mean, I have news for you. We're, we're all going to die, including me, including you. Well, <laughs> well, well, I have to say that, but she's worried about me all the time. What can I do? Well, I mean that, but face that reality of it together. I mean, you're you've been together forty four years. I hope you're together another forty years, fifty years together. But you know that there's a reality there, and sometimes I'm feeling from you avoiding some of the realities of even what you're going through physically. Well, on yeah. one on one hand, you're saying you're independent, you don't need anything, and then you say, well, she expects too much from me physically. So uh, there's something that I can understand. You're trying to do everything you can to maintain. Uh, your strength and what you can do and it seems like you're doing great but I'm sensing from you a feeling of not wanting to face the realities of some of what's going on and some of that reality could also be not that you're necessarily depressed and the diagnosis is not going to be the most important thing but are you feeling different are things going on for you emotionally as well that are okay and to allow for that vulnerability that everyone has things they go through everyone needs help everyone has certain types of a you know, a, a, a weak point. It doesn't mean we're weak, but we can have a weak moment or experience, and that's okay. But from you, I'm hearing a lot of pushing back on that, that I'm okay, even half-joking, saying I'm never going to die, but there's something there of the sense of of not being human almost, of not having the experience of, of everything we go through, which includes good and bad. Well, doctor, I have to say that we are 44 years married. Sure. But we know each other for 47 years. Mm-hmm. But, and but what is... I, that, that's right, you mentioned that, but what does that have to do with what I was saying? Well, uh, well I have to say all the Holocaust is smart. <laughs> what you say was all the truth. <laughs> well, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I'm... I'm I'm fighting with them to say, I'm not depressed. I'm okay. Yeah. I can do everything, whatever you guys can do. But, you know, what they think, what they think. I cannot change them. I that... can try to prove it, but still, same thing. Well, I, and I wouldn't want you to try to prove it to them. Um, I would hope you also, like I said, listen to her. If you've been with her 47 years, you've known each other. She probably knows you quite well. I'm not saying everything she's going to tell you is right. But if she's seeing a change in you, she probably is noticing something. And I I don't focus too much on the label that we're going to say you're depressed or not depressed. But even if you're feeling more sad or if you're feeling something, that's okay. And I want you to be able to experience that and also to share it with her, to have that connection with her about whatever it is you're going through and you go through it together rather than resisting and let's fight about this label of depression or not depression or whatever it might be, that to me is much less significant to you being open to yourself and open to her about whatever you're going through, which seems to be a whole range of of things. It's challenging what you're going through. This, a, a type of disease that affects you slowly over time 
it can be very difficult to, to accept and to live with and you're doing great and keeping yourself healthy as healthy as possible but still the reality is it's affecting you and and that's important to recognize and to share that with her she's going to worry about you that's because she cares about you but you can still share with her even things that might bother her to allow for you and her to be close rather than not tell yourself you're in pain or hurting whether it's physically or emotionally and then to not share it with her so i can't tell you you're not depressed or you are depressed but i do think there's something to what your wife is saying and something that i'm feeling from you is that you don't want to accept some of the things that are happening to you and that sometimes you accept it but then sometimes you pretend like it's not there but there is a reality that is there and i hope you can face that yourself and then share that with her so that you and her can keep being close the way you have been all these years. So you don't think the the age, my age, 71 years old, is not going to have to be sharp like you've been? No, I don't think so. That's what I mean. I'm not saying everything she's saying is going to be true. Of course, you're going to, there's some decline cognitively as you get older. In that, in that age, it depends on how much and what we're talking about. So, But even when you say it that way, it's like, again, it's not depression, it's something else. So that's what I want you to even want to ask, what is depression? It seems like it's something you so much don't want to say you have. You know, it's such a bad thing. When depression is something that many people go through, a big percentage of the population at some point of their life will be seriously depressed. It's not something that only some people go through weak people go through, crazy people go through. It's very common. So again, I can't say that you are, but I keep feeling from you a resistance to even looking at what's going on. So that's what I'm just so, saying. That's me. you saying you not, I'm not depression. You cannot tell that one. <laughs> no, I, I'm saying, I, I'm saying I can't, say, yeah, I'm saying I can't say you are or you're not, but I would want you, you to actually... Not. Yeah, I'm not saying you are or you're not, so I'm not giving you an answer. But I want you to be open to talking to your wife about what's going on, but first be open to yourself and what you're going through. Did I tell you the colloquies is smart? You did say it a few times. I do remember that. <laughs> so that's why your answer is saying things. Politics, no? I don't know if it's politics. No, no. the reason why I'm saying is because I can't tell if in 15 minutes of, of telling you you are depressed or not. And I also feel like you're going to be resistant to even telling me all the bad parts that might be closer to depression even if you were depressed so, I don't think you would tell me everything that would make me think you're depressed because you wanted to get a certain answer from me it wasn't just about let's really understand the truth and that's what I'm saying is that I feel like you resist looking at things within yourself because you want it to be a certain way and not to have it be a, a certain other way that's what I'm talking about is that you want something to be the truth even if it might not fully be the truth and I'm saying be more open and even more open to what your wife is telling you. Not that you are depressed as a label, but what are the things that she's noticing in you? And let's look at that together, you and her. Okay, doctor, tell me that with the three or four item, how you understand somebody has a depression? Sure. How about this? We went way over the commercial. I thought we were going to wrap up. I want to talk to you some more so we finish up these, these small points at the end, okay? So I'm going to put you on hold and we'll come back, all right? That's a pleasure. My pleasure. Okay, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to them now. Radio Hamra, you're still yes, there? Sir. All right. Yes, sir. <laughs> How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Y you, I, I, it it would have been very uncle. funny. If you said depressed, it would have been very funny, but you... <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but you're not feeling depressed. But, you know, you asked me... 
Go ahead. Well, question is, when when you uh, goes front of person and yeah. see depression, what is the sign he give it to you? Is it as a depression? So there, I mean, there's symptoms of depression we can talk about, but depression as a diagnosis, I even think is a little bit, all the diagnoses we have, I think I have some issue with, but let's talk about some of them. You mentioned, for example, um, you know, your wife has some concerns about your memory or some things, but let me ask you, how is your sleep right now? My sleep always bad. Always bad. Okay. What does that mean? Always bad. Four, five. Four five hours at night. I'm, I'm feeling good a day. So uh, sometimes two nights I don't sleep good. One night I sleep eight hours good. Uh, my mother same thing. My sister same thing. We okay. all have a bad sleep. Okay. Um, and that but, you know usually sleep can be part of it. But you're saying it's always been like that. Your sleep. I was always from when I was young. Okay. When I was young. Two, three hours at night I'd sleep uh, or four hours maximum and you would feel but, rested uh, I'm uh, still fresh and good and do whatever I can do I was used to be I worked 16 hours a day but okay. uh, but I'm okay all right but, now I'm would you something here in here Los Angeles and and I always working hard okay. I was general contractor I get up five o'clock in the morning I work until eight, nine at night, and I get home. But weekend, I was for my kids and family. Okay. All right. Now, are you still enjoying the things in your life the way you used to? Whatever you would do for fun or enjoy yourself doing? Doctor, believe me, some of those I enjoy more than when I was young. Okay. For example, when I was young, my kids are small. I miss them. I. So many times I didn't do things supposed to do with them and time with them. Now, <laughs> when I get the third kid, I start working out with him. And I was a lot of time with him when he was kid. And he was a very smart kid. And I was enjoying to spend time with him. And other two kids too. They are very smart too. But I always, they answer me some questions. I was surprised, kid like that, should you how he answered my question. Mm-hmm. I was enjoying that time. Okay. Now I'm enjoying my grandchildren. Oh my God, when I see them, I'm dying to see them every day. But mm. you know, not going to happen. They go to school, do whatever. And yeah. Even they live close by, but uh, we see every weekend. Okay. That's good. That I'm glad you have that, and you're enjoying those things in your life. You know, I do want to come back. Let's say if your wife was with us, what do you think she would say are your symptoms of depression, other than being quiet? Because all I'm hearing from you is saying she says you're quiet, but I doubt that's the only thing that that she's bringing up if she's saying you're depressed. And she said you're not uh, you're not sharp enough like before. Okay. And all those those two only. She has no other. Uh, Things can say about my depression. Okay, she doesn't say you have lower energy or anything like that. Doctor, I'm walking a day, three hours, and exercise. Right. Okay. I'm not. I'm not accusing. I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm asking a question. No, I'm not. Not. I'm. I'm remind you. Yes. I, I enjoy doing exercise. About 10, 12 years ago, I was still playing basketball with my kids. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And soccer. Now I was refereeing in soccer for six, seven years, and I was a free referee in Beverly Hills. Uh, uh-huh. Young kids. Okay. Uh, that no, I, I, I'm. Well, that was, and that was also before. We're talking about right now. Um, you, you go back to the the things from the past, but I, like I'm saying, if the only things you're telling me is she says you're more quiet, which I, I'm not sure what she means. It does seem like she thinks your mood is lower when you say quiet. I don't think she just means you're producing yeah, less for words. Example, for example, it used to be if I was uh, for five miles, I do it for example half an hour. Now I'm taking one one hour, one and a quarter. Well, that's yeah. That that's not yeah. That's not what I'm I'm worried about when we're talking about depression. That's not going to be what we're looking at, especially you're dealing with something physical. But when your wife says you're more quiet, is she saying your mood is lower, like you're more down? Well, yes. That's okay. What okay. Do you think there's anything to what she's saying? But I don't see it. I I don't see it. Okay. I don't know why. I don't see that. I don't. I. I'm watching movie every day. Um, I mean, repair my feelings, mm-hmm. or if repair comes, I'll do it myself as much as I could. Sometimes <clears throat> I make a mistake and destroy the washer machine. Cost fourteen hundred dollar, but I do my best. What can I do? Okay, all we can do is our best. But but you're saying she says your mood is down. Like she does feel like your mood is lower than before. Yes, do you do you feel like you're less happy than you were before? I'm less happy? I'm asking if you feel less happy. No. Every every event I force her to go with me. Okay. No, forget it. No, I cannot. I said, let's go. But but none, But let me. I'll stop you there for a second. That doesn't necessarily mean you're not depressed. You're right. Sometimes when people are depressed, they don't want to go. But depression and these things can go show up in a lot of ways. Um, I'm still giving you. I'm not giving you a diagnosis of depression, but I give you a, a diagnosis of resistance to looking at what's going on, because I still feel from you that when I ask you a question, you tell me about even something about 10 years ago, which doesn't have anything to do with how you're feeling now or what you're going through now. And as I mentioned, the diagnosis is less important, but it seems like it's very important for you that if you have this label or if you don't, and that itself is telling me how much you're attached to how you see yourself or how you're being seen and that it can't be this way or you know has to be this other way. I would hope you listen to your wife, not to say that she knows, but try to understand what she's saying. Is she saying she feels less close to you or you feel like you're not as even kind to her because your mood is lower or she just notices that you're more quiet and not talking to her the way you used to talk to her? These are all things to to talk about and understand, not let's see who's right or wrong. Because if she's telling me you're not there as much, that's important to, to look at if she's seeing that in you, that you're not as energetic or as um, uh, happy as you were before it's not that it has to be only the truth i would obviously listen to you as well but something i heard from you repeatedly is a way of pushing away something that could have been not good about what you're going through especially when we're talking about depression or even when you say something about your mood you or your sleep you say it's genetic or i think you were saying it's genetic by saying my sisters my mom everyone has that so nothing's going on there okay doctor Put it this way. He says, I'm resisting to have a 
saying I'm not depressed, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. With this situation, you think somebody resists to say I'm not depressed or whatever? You think it's a sign, good sign or bad sign? Well, overall, a bad sign that you're not allowing yourself to see what's going on. When we resist anything, it means we're not open to seeing what's actually there. So again, oh. I'm not even saying you are depressed, but I'm feeling a lot of pushing back from anything that could be related to that or anything that's about that. So you could even have some parts of depression, but not be depressed. And let's look at that. If we're open, we're open to it. If we're resistant, we want to find a way to say that's not even something. So I'm just saying, let's let's see what your wife is saying. Okay, she's saying you're quieter. Maybe, let's see, maybe she's right. Maybe it's not just age. Are you feeling more down? Or do you want to be alone more or not talk as much? Or yeah, was it that before you would talk too much and you didn't like it and you decided to change? I'm not sure what it is, but what I'm hearing from you is pushing away what she's saying as just kind of nonsense or, oh, she's saying something and it's not really true. So I want to give more value to what she's saying, not that it's the truth, but at least being open that there could be something true in what she's saying. And that's important. Well, what I think, what I see, used to be, even you go to the party, the Persian, you know, they see them say jokes, right? Okay. Okay. Now I'm still doing it. Okay. but And that doesn't tell me you are or not depressed. Yeah. I, I know, I'm not saying that's, you know, and even that wouldn't tell me you definitely are not or are depressed. People can tell jokes and be very depressed. Robin Williams was very depressed, took his own life, but he was famous for telling jokes and being very funny. So uh, it, these things are not, again, I feel like you're giving me, you're trying to prove to me something. I don't want you to prove to me anything. That's why I'm not going to give you a clear answer because I think that's not going to help you as much as trying to understand what your wife is telling you and connecting with her more than let's go tell her I said this so you win this argument about depression. But uh, that Robert Williams died because he's suicide because he has a depression, right? Well, I mean, it's probably, it's probably very complicated. There's other things that he was going through, I'm sure. But yes, that's part of it. My whole point is that very often comedians are very depressed. So just because someone's telling jokes doesn't tell me they're not depressed or they're feeling okay. Doctor, I, I never think about suicide. Good. Or I don't want you to. I, I'm not. Again, I'm not saying. My point is not to say you are depressed. What I'm saying is the things you're telling me don't tell me you're not depressed. And I'm not even that worried about that. I care more about you and your wife and how you're communicating with each other about what's going on and listening to her because she probably understands you much better than I understand you because she's known you 47 years and also seeing you now every day and because she's your wife and has that connection with you. So I'm just asking you to recognize that you can be more open to what she's saying, not as the pure truth, but at least of understanding where she's coming from and trying to understand it rather than just disprove what she's saying. So you might not be depressed. It could all be, she could just be overly worried. You might be right. But at least I'd want you to hear her and have, make her feel and, and really listen to what she's saying rather than just say, oh no, she's just saying something because she's a worried wife. Let's see what, what she's... If she never said this before and now she's saying it, that's telling us. If you told me every day since I was we met, she told me I was depressed or all the time she was saying it, then I, you can say, okay, it's just something she worries about. But if she didn't say it before and now is saying something, let's see. And maybe it's not even depression. Maybe it's something else. But I would at least want you to, to give that some significance, what she's saying, 
to hear her out. I do have to wrap up. We went again, uh, you know, over, and I, I, I want to leave some time for other topics and things. But I'm glad we got to talk. As I said, I, I wasn't going to give you a clear answer because I don't think that's even what you need more than anything else. But but I'm glad you called. It was nice talking to you. Can I say something? Of course. Don't get offended. Sure. But I think you say you're not depression or you are not <laughs> depression or maybe you are depression. But I, after 35 minutes, you talk to me. It's not a good uh, reputation for all of quiz. You cannot tell me what's wrong with you. I don't, I don't know if I would agree with you on that, that it's that, that kind of a, a thing, that it's that clear, that you can give a type of diagnosis like that. And as I said, what I was also picking up from you is that what you were going to tell me was going to be very biased to say that you're not depressed. So if I ask you, how do you feel? And you say, good. And I say, you're not depressed. It doesn't really have any value because I can tell you, want me to tell you you're not depressed. So what's the point of that conversation? Okay. Thank you, doctor. Okay. Take care. All right. right. You too. Let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So, you know, there's some themes that came up in, with the previous caller, of course, won't talk about the, the specifics because he's no longer on the air, so we can have a conversation about it. But I, I was thinking about when we're receiving feedback from people, and it, whether it's about something specific or in general, and as many things you'll hear me talk about, I always think we have to look at where is that balance, where do we understand what to get from it? Because... You know, some people say you shouldn't care what anyone says or anyone thinks. Well, no, that's not actually going to be healthy for us. Or the other extreme of, you know, caring too much about people think. Yes, that definitely happens too. And most of us tend to be on that extreme. And usually when we hear people give a type of advice that becomes common, it's because people tend to be too far on one extreme and we're trying to push people in the other direction. But the problem is then people think the other direction is the healthy place. But it's not. It's somewhere in the middle. So... Yes, most of us tend to care too much about what people are saying, be affected by it too much. So people say you shouldn't care at all. But if you didn't care at all, that would be disconnected from reality and not healthy either. But because we feel like people have such a tendency to go one way, we push the other way. It's the same thing I hear about with relationships, no expectations. And I don't think that's realistic. Do people often have some unreasonable expectations in relationships, some that they might not even be aware of or aware of where they are coming from. Yes. So we try to push in the other way, but I don't say no expectations like N-O. I say, know your expectations, K-N-O-W. You need to know them because we all go into a relationship with expectations. So coming back to this theme of listening to people's advice. So we can't never listen and we shouldn't always listen or be so affected by what people are telling us. What we want to pay attention to is both the quantity of things that are coming in, the type of the data that's coming in, but especially the quality of it. So yes, if a hundred people tell you something, you probably want to take note of it, even if you don't know those people very well. So if a hundred different people tell you you're being a jerk or you're doing this or you're doing that, we don't take it as absolute truth but we do take it as some kind of data, some kind of information. But especially who we do want to listen to, and by listen to again doesn't mean they know the absolute truth, but we will put more weight in what they're saying, are the people who are close to us, and especially the people that we have a good, loving, 
safe kind of relationship with, meaning that we have a level of trust with them. Because those people can at times even know us better than we know ourselves in the sense that they can see us in a more objective way. We, by definition, are subjectively having our own experience and doing the things that we do. But someone else can look at that, and if they're close to us and they know us and they understand us, can give us some good, genuine feedback that could be quite helpful. In a different way, this is why a therapist can be helpful when you're in the room with the therapist trying to give you a mirror to look at your life and the things that you're doing, the things that are happening, the patterns that they are noticing, because as an objective outside individual, they can give you that perspective that you yourself can never give. Sometimes people even say, well, shouldn't a therapist be able to do therapy with themselves? Well, there hopefully are things that they bring from their understanding of psychology and working with clients that can be helpful, but we can never be objective to ourselves. We can never be outside of ourselves. We can try and we can get more closer to that, but we'll never be able to get to the same level of objectivity or perspective that someone outside of us can. So we want to be mindful of the people around us, but often it can be hard to hear what they have to say. And so, of course, as the person giving some kind of feedback, if it is negative, we do want to be truthful, but we can still be kind. Often we think that if we're being truthful, we can say it in any way and say, well, I'm telling the truth. You can still be very aware of the way you say it, how you say it, when you say it, to make it a kinder, harder truth or tough love. But it is important to share that with the people that we we do love. So when we're looking at what to listen to, we also want to pay attention to what not to listen to. Some people will, you know, if you go online or if people make comments, people that don't know you, yes, if you get a lot of the same comments, you might pay attention to it. But if someone is coming with you uh, or giving you feedback in a very harsh way, you probably don't want to take much from that because it seems like their intention is to hurt you. So if someone comes to you online and says something really mean, it's probably not that they're trying to really help you improve in your life. They have some other motive, either they're not feeling good about themselves, not feeling good about how seeing you makes them feel, you're bringing up something for them, whatever it might be, as is often the case or almost always the case, how people treat us is more about them than it is about us, especially if it's someone in a more anonymous way. Probably it's about their own thing. So if someone says something in a really, really mean way, it's possible there's a kernel of truth in there, but more than likely, there's something about them that's going on. So that type of feedback you don't want to take. Or if they don't know you and they give you overly good advice or feedback, that also is likely coming from an empty place. Maybe it's about them, some need to idealize someone or to put someone on a pedestal or to see them a certain way. So when we talk about not hearing things that people tell you, usually people think, oh, don't worry if people say something negative. But we often forget is that we also want to be aware of how we take the positive and how much weight we give to that or what we learn from that. Because, of course, it feels good. And usually with the feel-good feelings or things that make us feel good, we just think more is good and, uh, you know, as much as you can get, take it. So if someone says something nice, just take it all in. But we want to be mindful of that too. And overall, when it comes to especially a general consensus, you don't want to be too affected by it either way. So if it's negative try your best to recognize that's not necessarily some absolute truth to not be too swayed by it but also if it's positive the same thing but what we tend to do is think we want to just feel good when it's good and when it's bad pretend like it doesn't exist and that's not possible 
really what happens is the amount that we let or we are affected by someone is going to be the same in both directions, kind of like a pendulum. It swings at a certain a distance, left or right, positive or negative. So someone you barely know can not hurt you that much by what they say, and they also can't make you feel that good. And someone that you really love and are close to, they can do both. What they say can cut very deep because it hurts even more because of how they know you, how you feel about them, all those things. But they can also, with their words, say something very loving that feels very good as well. I would say there is a type of negativity bias that unfortunately people can hurt us more than they can at times make us feel good because anyone can come and say something nasty to you and it feels pretty harsh. But if they say something nice, it might have a slight positive effect, but that's just the, the reality of those things. But we can't only feel the good. So some people say, well, if someone gives you a compliment, take that in, it should feel good, own it. And I agree with that. But if you're going to do that, then if they say something harsh, you can't pretend like, oh, who cares what people think? If you care what people think, you have to care about all of what they think. And so it's the degree of how much we're going to care that we want to look at, not do I care at all. And also when we look at who are we getting feedback from, yes, the general consensus can give us some data, but it's a quantity thing. So if you notice a theme that many, many different people have given you some kind of feedback, you might take note of it. You don't take it as a truth. But you do want to pay closer attention to those loved ones, especially the loved ones that you feel you genuinely think care about you and understand you and know you and want what's best for you. Their feedback can be very valuable and we want to be open to that because they can at times be a mirror to us that we might not even be able to be for ourselves. They might notice something in us, pay attention to something or give some feedback about something that we might not be seeing. So we do want to be open to that. All right, let's go to our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So in the last segment, I was talking about getting feedback from people and being aware of who we're getting it from, how we're affected by it, and mindful of whose advice we take or whose feedback we take. I kind of got ahead of myself there. In this last segment, I wanted to talk about advice because it's a, a delicate type of topic, of course, on this show. A lot of what I can do at times is giving advice, and I'm mindful of how I, I give that to people. But in our relationships, we want to be aware of how we give advice, who we give advice to, even do we give advice to someone, uh, and how to balance that. So uh, I think we do have a tendency not to give advice because we can be afraid of being intrusive. Although some people go to the other extreme, they might just give a lot of unsolicited advice. So it's finding a balance there as well, because if we care about someone, we love someone, I think it can be important to share with them what we are noticing, if we are noticing something, in them. But as a default, I would say being mindful of not giving unsolicited advice, especially to someone you don't know well, but even to people you know well, being very mindful of that. Because as soon as we give advice to someone, we are in a way entering their life in a way or entering their psyche in a way that can feel intrusive, right? So we can feel that if someone comes up to you and gives you advice, you might even feel the sense that someone is coming into your space in a way that you don't like. It doesn't feel good. So we do have to be mindful of that when it's unsolicited, meaning that someone has not asked for our input or our advice. We want to be very aware of doing that rarely, only with people we're very close with, and then even still rarely, but only in situations that might call for it and doing that in a certain way. So that's a very important point to keep in mind. 
But as I was saying, when we care about someone and we're close to them, we'll notice things about them that they might not be noticing or they might not know what to do something about. So I think we do want to be open of noticing the people around us and our loved ones and approaching them in ways that can help them. But what can also be important here is having a sense of what is that person like when it comes to getting advice. Someone might say, I want you to tell me if you notice something. So it could be a more general conversation, not about a specific thing yet. But if, do you want me to tell you if I see something uh, about you or something that's changed or something that might be beneficial for you? And some people say, yes, please do that. Some people say, no, I don't really like that. I'd pr prefer you don't do that. And even still, how we do it then is going to be important. So we can set some of these types of, if you want to call them ground rules or a basis of knowing how to approach one another. And this is going to be likely with someone you're close with. So close family member, romantic partner, those are the people where this type of conversation might make sense. Um, sometimes when you meet someone or you're not that close to someone, you might say, I have some advice or I'm thinking about something, you might even promote it or approach it that way. And you might, you know, see what their response is. But the important thing about advice, and this is something that comes up a lot with families that I work with, is that people can get fixated on, is my advice good advice or somehow true or not? And the feeling could be that if it's good, then I can say it, right? So someone's like, well, I told them to study more. Isn't it good to study more? Or are you saying you shouldn't study more? And no, it's not about if it's bad to study more or that if it wouldn't be better for them to study more. It's how you said it, if it was even appropriate to say it, the way it was brought up, all sorts of things can be important in that. So when you're thinking about sharing some advice with someone, of course, at a minimum, it should be good it should be somehow true or valid in some way. Of course, even those words, usually it's more relative. Sometimes we think, well, I know this is good, but it's very often the case that we don't know exactly what's best for someone else. So we have to be aware of that. But probably you have good intentions and have something good you think to say, but that's not enough to just say, well, I have good advice. So I work with parents and I'll say, well, I told my kid to do this. Isn't it good for them to do that? Well, it could be a good principle, let's say, to study, as I was saying, or to exercise or to be aware of what they're eating. But the way you do it, how often you're doing it, and so many other factors are very, very important. And so sometimes people take this uh, to an extreme. Well, it's like if it's good advice, you're not be able to say it in whatever way I feel like in that moment or it seems right. Okay, yeah, I yelled at him, but I was saying to study more. Isn't that a good thing? Well, no, the way you do it is very, very important. It's not just the content or the topic or the concept. It's about how you say it to that person. And if we look at what makes people take someone's advice, there are a few critical factors to be aware of that you can think about when you're talking to someone or you're thinking about giving advice or who you listen to. One is, of course, the competence of that person. So in a way, that type of trustworthiness that you trust them as a person, but also you trust them in general or possibly in the area that we're talking about. So if you go to your medical doctor to get treatment on, you know, let's say whatever, a sore throat, and they start giving you financial advice, you might hear it, but you might also feel a little bit weird that they're, they're you know, telling you to buy crypto or whatever they're telling you to do, uh, because that's not where you have your trust in them or their competence for them is not that part of life. If they said something, oh, you know, for your throat, you know, do this or you should take a break in talking or whatever their medical advice would be, you would take it and be more likely to take it. So 
a very big portion of what makes us take someone's advice is the trustworthiness and the competence in general, but especially within the realm of what we're talking about. I say general because sometimes there's someone we really uh, think of as wise and we admire, so we it might be a lot of different things about life that we take their um, advice on. But again, here we can see that competence is the key. Is it? Do you feel like they're competent in all those areas? You'll take their advice. If not, you won't want to listen to them. Even if you really respect them in some other area, in the, the new area, you might be like, well, I don't know if I should take your advice here. So that trust, competence is, is a huge component. But also the type of relationship you have, you have is important as far as how it feels. Because if you are mad at someone or resentful at them, you don't want to take their advice. And so this also happens with parents and their teenage kids, especially where the kids are mad at them or have this really negative feeling and attitude towards their parents. So they don't want to take their advice. So the good part of it really goes out the window. Is it, you know, let's say helpful advice or advice that would help the person is less important or goes out the window. because like, I don't care what you have to say because I'm mad at you. So we see that the quality of the relationship overall, but then especially within a, a, gi a given moment of when you're giving that advice is very important because if I feel good about you and I feel like we're in a good place, I'm more receptive to everything you have to say, including advice. But especially if I'm mad at you and you're going to try to tell me, you know, something better for me, people get very angry. Oh, you're going to tell me what to do. Like, you know, forget you. I'm not going to do that. And again, this is a type of a um, relationship you might see between parents and their teens when the parents are trying to, you know, do this, don't do that. You should be doing this. And so even more, it becomes this power struggle because the kid doesn't really care what the parent has to say. They're not evaluating the advice. They're saying it's coming from you. I don't want to take it. I don't want to hear it or I don't want to do it. And they're going to push back. So you have to be very aware of that part. The relationship is very important. So if you are, let's say, a parent of a teen, since I brought up that issue, and you're looking at something you want to teach your child, because you know you think it's something important for them or you see they're lacking in some way that might be helpful for them to work on this. You might just think, well, I need to think about my advice, which you should, of course, and how you're going to say it. But oftentimes what you need to work on, and hopefully you do this anyway, but to realize that you have to work on the relationship if you want to get the advice to them. If you want them to receive your advice, don't just think of, oh, you know, I'm going to create a slideshow or a TED talk to give them the best reasons why they should do this thing, what you're missing is that it's not the advice and how good it is that's affecting them taking it in. It's their relationship with you that's making them block whatever you have to say. They're not even getting to the point of evaluating what you're saying because they're already pushing back on it. So if you want to teach your child something, that's wonderful. And that is a part of parenting. We help guide them in a lot of ways. We give them the space to be themselves. But of course, we do want to pass on some values and some principles and some behaviors that we think can be helpful for them and see what they take on. And so if we think we need to teach them by keep pushing it and keep telling them, do this, do this, do this, we might be missing the bigger point, where is that if we don't have a good relationship with them, if they don't feel loving towards us, if they don't feel that we have their best interests at heart, that we see them for who they are and understand them for who they are, they're going to push back on you no matter what. And that's another aspect of actually good advice is we have to feel or, or wanting to take someone's advice is the feeling that the person understands me, right? If someone comes up to me and says, oh, you should do this. And in fact, they don't even get who I am because that advice doesn't even make sense. You're not going to take their advice. 
And so this is another thing that happens with parents in their teens. You know, the classic, like, you know, parents don't understand uh, who I am and they don't get who I am at all. Well, there's a sense of why would I take your advice? You're telling me how to act with my friends, but you have no idea what social life is like in high school right now. So what you're telling me has little or no value to me. So I'm not going to hear it. So we want to be aware of what we say, of course, and how we say it is very, very important. But we also want to be very mindful of the relationship we have with the person we're talking to. And if we want to do or make it that they're more receptive to what we have to say, again, we I was saying we should do this anyway, so hopefully it's not just in a manipulative way. Let me be closer to you so you take my advice. But if we really want to make it so that they're more likely to take our advice, we have to look at the relationship we have with that individual too. The better that is, the stronger it is, the more loving it is, the more receptive that person will be to what we have to say. All right, that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you to the callers and listeners. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.